I'm Brian Santo, EE Times Editor-in-Chief. You're listening to EE Times On Air. And this is the weekly briefing for the week ending October 29th. The significance of AI cannot be overstated. Artificial intelligence is being used to improve everything from smartphones to agricultural equipment to medical systems to semiconductor production. AI is also being used to tackle problems that are so complicated they simply couldn't have been addressed before. Today, our guest is Kunle Alukatan, the chief technologist for one of the most successful AI companies so far, Sabanova. We'll talk about Sabanova about working with AI systems, and about the prospect of AI supercomputers, and much more right after this. Each week, we provide a brief overview of some of the new articles you can find in EE Times. Wide bandgap semiconductors have already replaced silicon in some very specific applications where silicon just can't do the job. The thing is, there are a lot of jobs where silicon works just fine still. And it's still less expensive than wide band gap materials such as gallium nitride and silicon carbide. This week, we have a set of articles about wide band gap semiconductors, about their benefits, their drawbacks, applications such as automotive, and about market projections. TSMC is an absolutely critical company in the global economy, making many of the world's most advanced semiconductors. It just announced details about its next leap in manufacturing capabilities, about the process node it is calling N3. This will be important for the next round of products for many of the most innovative technology companies in the world. The world's communications companies are still wrestling with the rollout of 5G, and already the wireless industry is anticipating the generation of technology beyond that, naturally called 6G. This week, we'll let you know what the 6G hype is going to be about before it even revs up. If you're already on this podcast episode's webpage, look to your left, you'll see links to all of these stories. Or you can go straight to eetimes.com, where you can find these stories along with all our other coverage. You'll also find links to articles from our sister publications about power electronics, embedded ICs, analog circuitry, new products, distribution news, and more. And speaking of sister publications, EE Web is running its first ever design competition. It's open to any and all, and entry is free. The first part of the challenge is to propose an innovative motor control system that can be built using the Arduino Portenta H7 board. Submit your ideas, and the judges will pick the top five. Those five will then receive free Arduino boards and go on to actually build the proposed systems. The final deadline will be at the end of February. Ultimate winner and runner-up will also get Amazon gift cards and free one-year licenses to the LTM 365 Pro Design Suite. EEWeb is a site for users of engineering design tools. The engineers in the EEWeb community are dedicated to sharing their knowledge and expertise. For details about the contest, go to the EEWeb site at eeweb.com. There's also a link here on this podcast episode webpage that goes directly to the contest rules. Developing the technology for artificial intelligence is a dynamic field in and of itself. 
But the whole point of AI is to enable innovation in just about every other electronics application out there. The potential markets for AI are about as limitless as the prospects for any technology seen in recent years, and that has gotten investors extraordinarily excited. Every year, EE Times publishes a rundown of some of the hottest startups in the electronics industry. It's called the Silicon 100. And every year in the past few years, there's been a boggling number of AI startups, and most of them are attracting tens of millions of dollars in funding. A handful of AI startups are attracting not tens of millions of dollars, but hundreds of millions. A smaller number still have attracted over $1 billion in investor cash. Samba Nova is one of them. The company is now considered to be worth more than $5 billion overall, which makes it more valuable than many of the companies in the Fortune 500. It's an interesting position to be in for a startup that emerged from stealth mode only two years ago. Venture funding in no way guarantees success, but pulling in a billion dollars at the very least establishes that a lot of investors think Sambanova is headed for success. The company's frontman is hyperkinetic CEO Rodrigo Lang, but Sambanova is going to succeed or fail based on its merits, and the guy most responsible for those merits is chief technologist Kunle Alukatan. Alucatan is credited with designing the first general-purpose multi-core CPU, and he did pioneering work on single-chip multiprocessor and multi-threaded processor design. I started by asking him to describe what Sabanova is all about. Yeah, so well, first of all, Sabanova is focused on data center, you know, predominantly. So we're focusing on both trading and serving uh, models, you know, from the data center. And uh, the, the whole goal is, of course, to provide the capabilities for uh, to be able to train very, very large, accurate models, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and sort of you kind of look at the current landscape of, of computing capabilities, mostly dominated by GPUs, uh, what you need is many, many GPUs because of the limited amount of memory that each of the GPUs can have. And so what Sambanova brings to the table is the ability, you know, with, with you know, one or two uh, or a quarter rack of, of capability to be able to provide, you know, terabytes of memory, right? And so that allows you to build huge models uh, that can serve any of the... Uh, uh, particular industrial verticals or, or, or uh, commercial verticals that, uh, you know, are of interest. So, for instance, huge natural language processing models uh, for, uh, you know, uh, uh, the financial sector mm-hmm. or, or for, uh, you know, developing chatbots and customer services, uh, voice-based commerce, uh, also, uh, natural language processing uh, finds finds uh, use uh, in cancer research, also, or huge vision models that are you know we call true resolution that allows you to do uh, medical images without uh, you know reducing the resolution to uh, make the image more blurry so that you can fit it into the memory requirements of conventional systems or the ability to, or, or, or conversely, the other, other thing that people do to, to uh, manage 
limited memory is is chop the uh, you know maybe 20k by 20k uh, image into you know patches, and mm-hmm. then each of these patches uh, uh, can be processed. But now the, the, you you process the patches independently, and you potentially lose important features that cross the boundaries. And so by by able by being able to process the 20k by 20k image uh, and, and and create models that, that uh, can take the the whole resolution of the image, you can both uh, get the fine detail uh, of potentially you know cancer whatever you, whatever you're trying trying to image, and you can also get you know uh, the 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 uh, uh, features that, that that cross uh, a large swath of of the image and and, and use those to uh, you know improve the accuracy of whatever you're trying to do. So 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 in medical imaging, you know, astronomy, uh, you know, scientific uh, 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 imaging, X-ray imaging, all of these things are, are generating huge images that cannot be easily handled with today's capabilities. And, and, and we were able to, to do that uh, with, uh, with the Sabanova systems. So, so many kinds of use cases. And the third, third kind of classic use case is sort of large recommender, recommendation systems where mm-hmm. what, what you want to do is, is accurately capture the uh, personalities of the, uh, the potential customer that you're trying to recommend for. And that, you know, comes in the form of what are called huge embedding tables, which kind of capture this kind of detail. And these 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 tables run to into the terabytes. And again, you want to be able to handle those large uh, um, embedding tables because the the larger the embedding table, the more accurate the model, the better uh, recommendation you're you're able to give. And so all these capabilities uh, are provided by the, the Sampanova system. And one of the key uh, features that that we've we focused on in it, the development of the system is to be able to both train these large models uh, and, and, and these large models that are going to give you state of the art accuracy, but also serve them. And this has two great benefits. One is you know you serve what you train, right? So you don't have to requalify the uh, model on a different. Uh, serving environments. So typically today, what happens is that you train on GPUs because GPUs are very good at large batch training, right? So, you know, when you're talking about training, you want many examples in the batch because uh, that's the only way to, 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 to fill up the capabilities of the GPU so that you make it efficient. And but if, so if you make the batches too small, the GPU becomes very inefficient. And so what people do is they say, hey, GPUs are no good at, at doing uh, small batches. And so we'll move to CPUs because, you know, it, when, when it comes to inference, mm-hmm. you get one request at a time. You know, the, the requests don't come in batches or if you wait until you've got a batch of requests, then, of course, you've delayed the request that came in first, right? So your latency right. is going to get worse. And so what you want is, is the capability to both do large batch training very efficiently, but also do single batch inference very efficiently. And so we can do that with uh, the Sambanova systems. So think of Sambanova systems as this capability of, of doing training and inference very efficiently. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the real full circle uh, you know, once you can do training and inference on the same platform, 
you can dynamically switch between them, right? So uh, that's a, a new class of, of models being developed that allow you to do what's called continuous training, where you set you, you know, the the distribution of 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 the data you get changes and you want to adapt, right? So <laughs> an example would be suppose that you had a camera uh, uh, that was looking at the intersection somewhere, uh, you know, in, in the northeast, and you know, uh, and you know that scene at the intersection is going to look very different uh, during the summer months than it is during the winter months. And you want to be able to shift your model to accommodate snow or ice or rain, as opposed to you know maybe when it was trained on a you know nice sunny day, right? And so it turns out that you know you could try and train the Uber model, but it turns out to be much better if you can have a, a model that it's, that adapts. But what does that require? It means that you need to be able to do training and inference uh, uh, very efficiently. So all these the, the, the you know this all points to what we're calling convergence, right? So you said, you know, very low uh, power uh, inference. Well, you can imagine if you've got some mobile devices uh, that, that need to do inference that you, you really care about low power. But, but in, in many cases, what you want to do is you've got some, you know, edge compute capability in a server, which is closer to the edge, or you, you actually are going all the way back to some data center. But either, in either case, what you want is the ability to, move, to do both training and inference at the same time. And so that's the way we think of Sam over as this, this capability uh, that, that, that uh, you know, provides compute capability, but mm -hmm. also more. But I'll, I'll let you... Uh, uh, yeah. Well, is the ability to do both at once um, or both simultaneously um, rare or unique? And where this question comes from is you look at um, the largest GPU vendors and you see them getting into CPUs and doing a lot of research into figuring out how to uh, move data back and forth rapidly and, and efficiently between, you know, between processing and memory. Uh, the same thing with the CPU built, some of the largest CPU companies getting into GPUs and also experimenting, trying to figure out ways to, to handle processing and memory and, and ease yeah. that, that exchange. And they're, they're making advances. Um, and the question I think for someone who wanted to do AI but doesn't know much about it would be, um, what's the distinction? Is 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 uh, someone built for AI going to do it better? But uh, or will will the, the ability to do both inference and training simultaneously be uh, interesting for my application or? And perhaps, and um, does cost come into become a factor in in your evaluation of whether to go with traditional GPU CPU computing versus something purpose built for a specific problem space? Yeah, well, I, mean, I think all these these uh, uh, issues are important. Uh, fundamentally when thinking about you know ai models and developing ai software 
uh, it's all done using frameworks, right? So mm-hmm. using either PyTorch or TensorFlow. Uh, PyTorch seems to be gaining uh, the, the most traction uh, recently, both uh, among uh, the uh, researchers and, and moving it into industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, both of these uh, frameworks develop these uh, machine learning models as what we call data flow graphs. Okay. And so the data flow graphs represent the model in terms of kernels, and the kernels could be matrix multiply, they could be convolution, they could be pooling, they could be uh, whatever. And then, you know, the data that moves between these kernels are the tensor data that that represent uh, uh, the model itself. And so the focus that we have in the design of, of Sambanova is to take the queue, take our queue from the data flow expressed in these models mm-hmm. and very efficiently map that in space and time to the architecture. Yeah. Right. And so what that does for you is, you know, you know, the application program programmer gave you the roadmap. But that roadmap is ignored by most conventional architectures, CPUs and GPUs. We say, you know, we, you know, you've given us information here. Let's use it to optimize the data flow and match the data flow as represented in the application to the architecture. So we have a reconfigurable, what we call a reconfigurable data flow architecture that can minimize the bandwidth that is 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 uh, is generated, especially off chip, and it, uh, it maximizes the use of the compute because it gives you the ability to what's called do pipelining in space on the chip, such that you can keep all the uh, the, the units of uh, of of the capabilities of the chip fully utilized. Right. So, if you're thinking about, you know the key elements of any, uh, you know, compute environment, it's about, you know, what is your compute uh, capability? What is your, your, your memory bandwidth capability, both on chip and off chip? What is your communication uh, bandwidth, you know, to, to uh, both on chip and, and to other, other, other units? And then how effectively do you use that? Right. And so with the ability to both control the compute, and the communication driven by the data flow graph, we have, uh, you know, the the capability with, you know, the Samba flow uh, software development environment, which in, in includes very sophisticated compilers mm-hmm. that look at the data flow graph and match it to the capabilities of the architecture because the architecture is fundamentally reconfigurable and so can be reconfigured to match the properties of the application that you are running. Wild. What does this mean for the application developer? Um, I, I mean, one of the, the one of the traditional attractions of of you know working with a very popular CPU or GPU is that you've got all those tools already there and. Uh, a lot of people are either very familiar with them and if they're not familiar, there are all sorts of ways where they can learn. Um, 
what's how, you know in AI uh, is that common? Is that a common experience? Uh, well, well, I mean, Samanova is it different for other AI companies? Yeah, well, I, th- I think you know there are kind of different kinds of of, of developers, right? There mm-hmm. are AI application developers, and there are you know system developers that 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 like to to delve into the details and mm-hmm. and and optimize performance at a low level and are you know conversant with you know low level programming uh, um, you know uh, libraries in C and and may even you know have you know be willing to write uh, CUDA for GPUs for huge applications like finance the uh, there's there's incentive yeah. to do that too right 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 but but the, but but you know but at the end of the day, you ask anybody who is trying to achieve performance, and they'd like to achieve that performance in the simplest and easiest way possible. You right. know, most people, are, you know, are forced to write CUDA, and once they write CUDA, now they're locked into NVIDIA hardware. But 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 that's not what most AI developers want to do. Most AI developers want to develop their application in Python using these frameworks. And in fact, you know, the overwhelming uh, you know, majority of the models and the applications are developed at this high level in Python. Uh-huh. And so, you know, what we want to do at the end of the day is to make it easy to use our capabilities. And that is, uh, is enabled by having a software stack that we call SambaFlow that takes those models, analyzes the computation, communication, and memory usage, and then optimizes that uh, 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 for for both you know memory locality and for uh, compute such that you uh, map uh, the the, uh, the requirements of the application to the, this architecture, right? Uh, and then you reconfigure the architecture to get the, the best performance, and and all of that happens automatically, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so you you as the, you as the the developer now. If you really, really care about uh, low-level uh, performance optimization, and you really have the capabilities to to do that, which is you know few you know performance-oriented uh, engineers, you can delve. We can give you a low-level programming model in C that allows you to kind of actually program at the data flow level. But but you know that's for one percent of, of of the developers. The other ninety-nine percent are going to be quite happy with uh, using the frameworks because the compiler can deliver performance, right? So the reason people had to write CUDA is because they couldn't get the performance they needed from the existing library kernels. But Mm -hmm. the nice thing about Dataflow is it gives you what's called automatic fusion, right? So because you get to place two kernels on the same chip at the same time and have them communicate efficiently between the two, you get fusion. So if you look at what most CUDA programmers are trying to achieve when they write custom CUDA kernels, that what they're doing is they, they are actually doing this fusion manually. They are taking two uh, formerly separate kernels uh, that didn't communicate very efficiently and putting them together in, in a single kernel so that communication is efficient. And what we do with data flow is we do that automatically. So you get to define kernels however you like, and then we will make sure that they run efficiently together. 
Ah, okay. All right. Uh, and my understanding is that Samba, Samba Flow is, um, is that that type of tool is still fairly uncommon in the AI area? Yeah, it doesn't exist, right? So what we're taking is a whole graph analysis approach mm-hmm. uh, that starts at the uh the framework level and analyzes the whole graph, right? Now, one of the reasons that, that of course, the, the conventional architectures don't bother with uh, this whole graph approach is because they're only executing things a kernel at a time, right? And okay. then they're shuttling all the data off chip uh, to HBM and then pulling it back for the next kernel. We don't want to do that. That's a waste of bandwidth and it doesn't give you the fusion, you know, uh, uh, advantages that, that we just talked about. What you want to do, ideally what you do is you want both of those kernels to run concurrently. And then you also get pipelining. So while the second kernel is working on the uh, the uh, earlier you yeah. know, piece of data, okay. uh, the, the, the first kernel gets the next piece, right? And so on. And you get this pipeline of computation that, that, that happens uh, uh, on the chip, right? And so, and then of course, the communication is is very streamlined and and uh, uh, very efficient, right? So you know, you know, as as you know, I, I remember, uh, you know, uh, I of course have been at Stanford for many years, and um, uh, I once was listening to uh, uh, John Hennessy, who of course is a former president of Stanford and and a, and a great computer architect, right. describe pipelining as you know the you know the best things in slight spread for computer architecture, right? You know, it is the idea uh-huh. that, you know, with very, very little amount of um, extra resources, you get this tremendous performance improvement, right? You know, it was what drove risk in the early days. It's right. what, you know, uh, drives uh, the design of, you know, modern uh, CPUs and, you know, we use it in this dynamic fashion, uh, you know, to, to accelerate, uh, AI applications. All right. So, uh, so how involved do you get with applications, uh, of, of your customers? Uh, the, ultimately my question is, has anybody come to you with, with something you either didn't expect or found novel? Yeah, I mean, we were working with the national labs, uh, you know, with uh, Rick Stevens from Argonne National Lab, mm-hmm. and they are, you know, were developing models for, for for modeling COVID, and they've got all sorts of uh, imaging models. And you know, you know, initially, uh, you know, we could, we take these models, and we may have to optimize a, a few things in the software to accommodate them. But uh, they're showing, you know. Uh, that they can train models faster than, than GPUs and they can, can get scalability and performance uh, on our data scale systems uh, that uh, surpasses uh, anything that they've seen. So, you know, there is this conversation that we have with, with customers, especially with uh, very sophisticated comp- uh, customers at, at the national labs uh, who may want to, you know, program at the data flow level or may have interesting in models that, 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 uh, uh, can help drive the development of uh, the uh, Samba Flow software that we have been uh, working on. Well, high-performance computing is kind of interesting in that it was always 
uh, for, for the longest time was how many CPUs can you gang up? And, and right. at this point, we now have we now have supercomputers that are largely GPU based. Mm-hmm. Would uh, AI processors always be a module for those, or would we ever see an AI supercomputer? Yeah, we're going to see an AI supercomputer because, of course, what the HPC folks are trying to do is, of course, being uh, transformed like everything else in the world by AI. So if you look at, you know, a model of anything, a model of you're trying to model uh, airflow over a wing, you're trying to model uh, materials, you're trying to understand how nuclear bombs explode, you've got some physical model that you are trying to, um, uh, you know, uh, simulate, you run mm-hmm. through and, and, and similar. So the, there's a model that you, you, you might create from first principles, right? But then you can use the data generated from that model to train a machine learning based model. And that model may run three orders of magnitude faster than your detailed physical model but be just as accurate, but maybe not in all regimes. And so what you see is this hybrid situation where some of the time you're running the the detailed physical model, some of the time you're running this AI model, and then you might be dynamically training that uh, AI model as you move into a different regime. So again, going back to this earlier uh, discussion we have about convergence between uh, training and inference again you see it happening here in the high performance computing uh, regime and so ideally what you want is 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 a, a single capability that can do all of these these uh, kinds of computation uh, very efficiently very cool i am out of the the prepared questions i had for you let me throw you the 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 general question mm-hmm. what have you been working on recently that you found fun, surprising, interesting, gratifying, whatever? What have I been working on? So, you know, I'm, I'm at the end of the day, I'm, I'm a hardcore, you know, uh, technology guy who loves to work with PhD students and, and develop, new, you know, new ideas and, and get, and get inspired by, uh, their, their exciting, uh, Development, and I think you know the interesting thing uh, that has come out uh, most recently. It may, may be a little esoteric, but it's exciting to me. Is uh, <laughs> go on, hit us. It, it, <laughs> it, it is you know you, when when programming, right? You know, you, you think you know think the dominant uh, idea has been this idea of, of the threat, right? Mm-hmm. The threat of control, right? And so uh, you think about a threat of control as being, you know, some register state and some memory state, right? And, and a program counter, right? That's a threat of control. And you've seen threading uh, get used, you know, if you go back to the, you know, the, the, the first, uh, you know, work that I'm most uh, well known for is this whole idea of multi-core and multi-thread uh, 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 CPUs, you know, mm-hmm. back in the 90s, you know, we, we spurred, uh, we, uh, we pioneered some of those ideas, and uh, and and so you know, fast forward to these data flow architectures where where we thought, well, 
fundamentally, we're going to move from a threading model to this data flow model where you're just focusing on how data moves. And, and that's the, the, the important thing. So the really interesting thing was sort of how you could bring these two ideas together. So we have this new paradigm that we call data flow threads. And it's really a way of taking threading and making it into data flow. Uh, and so one of the ways you think about these threads is what? you want to do a bunch of, bunch of things and you, and, and, you, and you move them around as if they're data flow. And it gives you a lot of capabilities, right? You, it makes them both more flexible and more efficient than the threading that you get with GPUs. And it makes it possible to now work with very irregular data structures like hash tables and trees and all these things that have weird uh, capabilities that don't easily fit into the, into, the, into the classic data flow model. Well, this idea of data flow threads, you know, kind of breaks out of the current constraints of data flow and gives you uh, the the benefits that everybody has seen seen as threads, but it's actually more flexible uh, in that you can create threads on the fly and you don't get you know the very you know weird a uh, constraint of, of, of conventional GPU threads that is called thread divergence that does that that doesn't affect the data flow threads and so this whole idea of you know how can you you know bring together the idea of data flow and threads together and mm. and, and get get benefits and then show uh, how it, it impacts what you can do with what we call irregular applications right applications that don't aren't like matrix multiply the dense matrix multiply is your classic regular um application because you know from the beginning what's going to happen at the end right you know what the okay. memory references you know what the data is there's no there's no surprise an irregular application fetches something from memory looks at that and maybe decides where to branch based on that that's that's irregular you know what what data you're going to touch you don't know so how can you bring these these different modalities together and get you know, very efficient when you want to do dense matrix multiply, but also very efficient when you want to do uh, sparse matrix multiply or do graph analysis or work on trees or or do things that that, that don't look look regular. So well, that's what what's so what's so so, <laughs> so 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 are are, are there like a problem categories that um, that would lend themselves to to, to this kind of a, an approach or, or are we, yeah, is the benefit absolutely. just, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, the, the benefit is that's the direction that machine learning is going to go, is moving it. Right. Mm -hmm. So you look at, the, look at something like the Google TPU and it's dense matrix multiply. Well, if you could do, if you could uh, actually do sparse uh, training, mm -hmm. then you could potentially get rid of, of 90% of the compute potentially. But now, but now, what you need is something that is optimized for doing sparse uh, matrix multiply or doing sparse operations. Right, and these have yeah. usually been, in my understanding, have always been two two different categories of AI. Yeah, yeah, but now the now the coming because what's going to happen? You, you look at the the growth 
of the models, right? The, you know, basically we, we, we are doubling the, the uh, 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 number of parameters and the amount of compute every two and a half months. And that's the cadence we've been on since, since 2017. Wow. So that's clearly unsustainable, right? And so what we're going to have to do is be clever about how we develop our models. We still want to increase accuracy, but we can't do it in a brute force manner. Right, we're going to have to do it in a way that, uh, uh, in, in, you know, requires us to to be clever. And the way that we're going to be clever is by using sparsity, by doing things that are more regular. Regular, as I said, is dense made of small point. Right? right, you know, at the beginning of the algorithm, what's going to happen at the end? You know, uh, it, irregular is I don't know what data I'm going to fetch. I don't know what direction I'm, uh, you know, I'm going to go. That's tough. Right. Yes. But, yeah. That's wild. So, so uh, what are we talking about? Product in Q2 next year? For what? <laughs> For what we've just been talking about. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you asked me. You asked me what I was thinking about. I gave you gave you a research. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so I'll, I'll I'll tell I'll tell the financial community to back off just a little bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, Kunle, thank you very much for your time. It was a delight talking to you. Okay. Thank you a lot for your time too. It was it was great to chat with you. We've been talking with Kunle Olukatan, Chief Technologist of AI startup Sambanova. By the way, my EE Times colleague Sally Ward Foxton interviewed Sambanova CEO Rodrigo Lang last summer. You can read that article on our website. Did your company produce a particularly impressive device this year? Enter it in the Product of the Year competition held by our sister publication, Electronic Products. This is one of the most prestigious product awards in the industry for several reasons. The competition always includes the most innovative companies in the electronics biz. This is also one of the most enduring Product of the Year awards in the industry. This will be our 46th year. What qualifies? Well, if you've created something completely new, of course you should enter it. But the judges also give full and fair consideration to existing products that have been improved and now offer superior performance characteristics. Achieving a new standard in price performance is also something that the electronics products judges recognize as worthy of consideration. There is a link to the submission form on this podcast episode webpage, or you can go straight to the Electronic Products website, which is right where you'd expect to find it, at electronicproducts.com. The deadline for submitting a nomination form is November 1st. Winners will be announced in January. And that concludes this episode of The Weekly Briefing. Thank you for listening. We have this podcast, The Weekly Briefing, and three others. Power Up is hosted by Maurizio DiPaolo Emilio. It's about power electronics. Embedded Edge is about embedded technologies. The host is Nitin Dodd. We also have the Artificial Intelligence Podcast with Sally Ward-Foxton. They're all available through iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. But if you go to our website at eetimes.com slash podcasts, you'll find all of them with each episode also accompanied by a transcript along with links and other multimedia. 
The Weekly Briefing is produced by E.E. Times. It was engineered by Taylor Marvin and Greg McCray at Coop Studios. The segment producer was Katie Huss. I'm Brian Santo. See you next week.